What does it take to make workshops work? And how can we facilitate collaboration that sticks and leads to results? My name is Miriam Hatness, and with the Workshops Work podcast, I'm on the mission to find the magic ingredient that makes workshops work. Today with me on the show is Hugh Pegger. He's a voice coach, and I learned that our voice is also facilitating the workshop along with us. So stay tuned. And by the way, if you don't have pen and paper at hand to take your own notes, why don't you visit workshops.work to download my free one-page summary curated for you. So now enjoy the show. Yup, I'm very glad to have you here today. Welcome to the Glad show. to be here. Thanks very much. Yes, I followed a webinar that you gave together with, um, with Maya. And you were the voice coach. And I thought, mm, my audience needs to know more about the voice and how they can treat it with more care and use it with more power. Super. And maybe we can just start with your story. When did you actually start calling yourself a voice coach? What got you into that profession? Well, what got me into it was when I, like way back when I was a teenager, I had this amazing moment when I took my first singing lesson and um, I was preparing for this old school process of it taking years and stuff and uh, me staying, you know, super bad for a number of years and then perhaps getting somewhere close to acceptable. But then it appeared that I had found a singing teacher who was actually using a brand new vocal coaching system where not tradition, but vocal research, which was then kind of like new, was the underlying theory. So this method was brand new and it allowed me to reach my goals in just one lesson. And I remember being 15 and cycling home and being like, whoa, this is mind blowing. And it never really left me. So I took lessons with her and actually went into this technique and studied the, the technique. And after my period in the, in the university, I decided that I should open a vocal studio because I was seeing around me that so many people were struggling with the same problems. And I knew this kind of like new technique a bit, you know? And um, yeah, so I did. I opened a vocal studio for singers in Berlin mm-hmm. in 2013. And what happened there was I didn't find so many singers, but after only one month, a vocal actor entered my studio. Mm-hmm. In Germany, it's, uh, as you know, quite usual for films to be synchronized. And these vocal actors would have to have the perfect resemblance of the original language actor in their German language. So I could do that, right? Because I had this vocal technique that allowed for people to really transform their vocal sound entirely. So I started working with them and then it went from there kind of. So nowadays I'm working with um, speakers, singers alike, and people who want to learn more about vocal health. Yeah, that's how it started. Mm. And when you, when you explained the epiphany you had after this one lesson with your own vocal coach when you were 16, you mentioned that helping people what they struggle with, and I wonder what the key struggle is when we use our voice, and I would be very curious what this epiphany was about. So why did it only take one lesson? Well, I feel that there's something 
about the voice and us as a society regarding the voice that underpins that. I feel that we are, you know, if we feel like we don't really know how to dress, we kind of like, I don't know, watch a couple of YouTube videos or get some professional advice or, you know, just try it out. We kind of learn as we grow older to, you know, dress well for an occasion. And the same applies to perhaps body language or, I don't know, other skills in life. But the voice kind of like stays behind. The voice can actually also be one of these things that we learn something about and then we learn to transform our voice to suit a particular occasion. Mm. However, that is the main thing that people seem to not realize and that's not really a part of our culture. So no matter if I get singers in my studio or speakers of any kind, this is the main thing that they struggle with. They'll be like, hey, I have my voice and I come to you as a vocal coach because I want to have more security or more control or I don't really know what I'm looking for. You know, that's something that I get a lot. And then comes the catch-all phrase that I always hear here, which is um, because, you know, you have your voice. That's your voice, right? Um, Yeah, we take it as a given. I never thought about changing my voice or that I actually can change my voice. Yeah. And that's it. And that's the main thing that I thought about when you just asked the question. Yeah. It's kind of like, think about it like if you would consider clothing and then you would have one outfit and then that's your outfit, right? You wear that outfit everywhere. That would be my dream. It would make life so easy. (laughs) I know. But that's kind of like what, how people would regard the voice. There's just one voice and that's their voice. And then they use that for everything. And this makes me curious because you also mentioned body language. So do you think that, or can you as a vocal coach read someone's voice as others would be able to read a body language? Yeah, pretty much. Well, you know, we kind of all do, right? Also in, the term, in terms of body language, we kind of know how somebody feels when we see them, right? Like when we experience them existing in a room or in front of a screen, like right now, we kind of know. And that's the same with the voice, right? Like we kind of get how somebody feels, even though this mainly happens on a subconscious level, of course. We, we won't be like, hey, this person has a very pressed, high-pitched voice, so they must be feeling miserable. No, that's not how it works. We kind of like get it's it. Yeah. So what makes a good voice? So for instance... So yesterday, I joined a virtual meeting in a video game scenario. And so all the participants of this meeting were avatars. And we communicated without video, but only with voice. And that was fascinating because it created the same kind of almost intimacy without the distraction of the video. But I think that especially in such a scenario where you only focus on the voice, you can really be more or less effective in using it. So you as an expert, what would be your tip or trick or what would be the little thing that makes the difference in your effectiveness of communication? Well, if, well, that's, that's a question that has a lot of answers. But <laughs> we have time. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like what you want to achieve, right? Like getting back to the clothing analogy, right? Mm-hmm. A good outfit for like occasion A won't be the same good outfit for occasion B. But generally, you can say something. A good voice would be always a voice that sounds like the speaker feels good. Mm-hmm. That's really it. And in some cases, that may mean a very 
melodic, fast, jumping everywhere kind of voice um, that is totally free and, you know, playful. And in another occasion, that could mean a low-pitched, not all too melodic, slow voice. Mm-hmm. But there is one general thing I can say about that. A pressed voice is almost never a good voice. And what I mean with a pressed voice is this, right? A voice where you, where you start pressing. Like this is something that is almost always associated with not being in control or not being in charge of the situation or ourselves in the situation. What is the circumstance where we have this pressed voice? Well, um, the area of our body that is associated with this pressing Mm -hmm. is the area that runs along the nervous vagus nerve, Mm -hmm. and that's mainly our abdominal region. So there's also this very nervous present in our throat, right, where our voice is being made, um, in our chest as well. But the main part of that nerve runs through the stomach. And even though I still have to get this confirmed by specialists who know all about that, you know, I haven't been able to find them. I just noticed that whenever people tense up their core, like so, right, whenever you're, uh, as if you were doing push-ups or Mm -hmm. uh, sit-ups even, or like lifting something entirely heavy, Mm -hmm. then the voice starts blocking. And I've noticed this happening as well when people experience pressure. So not just them having to do physical labor or yeah, physical pressure inside their body, like the abdominal supporting, for instance, us lifting something heavy. But also when we get stressed, right? So when we get stressed and then or emotional about something, then um, the, the core starts uh, like st- <laughs> tensing up and then the voice starts pressing like so, you know? Mm, makes total sense. And it's mostly less obvious than you would think. Like there's gradations. There's not just pressed versus free. There's a sliding scale, right? And I noticed that a lot of people, especially in online meetings, are a bit pressed in their voice. So this would mean that they feel uncomfortable or under pressure? Yeah, in a sense. That doesn't have to be conscious, right? We can also subconsciously feel that. And I can imagine that... This immediately also links to a training of posture and how to relax the muscles. Because if, I assume, if my voice gets impacted, if I'm under pressure and I'm tense, this would Mm. mean that my voice also loosens up if my body tension loosens up. Would you also use that in your training or is it a different? Well, sometimes, but I favor hearing exercises like it helps particular individuals a lot when i do relaxation exercises with them combined with vocal exercises so i do incorporate that in my work sometimes and in workshops i would spend a portion of time addressing that this is an issue Mm -hmm. however look in my work as a coach i i'm trying to make myself not needed anymore right as soon as possible and therefore ears are much better companions than receptors in the body, right? Because receptors in the body, like how we feel our body, like that differs from hour to hour even, let alone from day to day or from month to month. So I'd like to focus much more on the ears because if you aim at a particular sonic result, that is the voice sounds in a particular way. If you learn to recognize that and train towards there, then you have a much more trustworthy aid 
in trying to maintain your quality. Mm. You see? So does this mean that I would have to record myself and listen to myself in order to train that and keep on track? Well, yes, that would help. But even in just um, hearing yourself right now, like you, as you speak, we can also learn to like assess ourselves and correct ourselves in our spoken voice. We can, you know, learn to estimate what it means when our voice sounds a particular way versus what it would probably sound like recorded or for other people. Mm, intriguing. So now I do have to ask for your favorite exercise to, to help your clients. Or if you're in a workshop, what would you do with them too? <laughs> well, my favorite exercise by far is an exercise that is counting up numbers. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, because sooner or later, you'll have to assess what a good sounding voice to yourself means, right? And this is a very personal thing. Even though I usually ask people to give me situations, like some people would need to deliver a big speech at an event, or others may need to sing that aria at an opera house, or somebody else just wants to, like as a school teacher, and just wants to not have their voice felt worn out after a long day of speaking, you know? Like one thing I always have people experience and also have to remind myself of every now and then is what is a good voice? Like what is a convincing voice? Mm -hmm. And a convincing voice is just that, a voice that convinces the listener, even just ourselves, right? Because we are both the speaker and the listener of what we're trying to say. And that is best exercised without content, mm. right? So if, if I use the numbers like especially like longer numbers, like 70, the 70s, like 71, 72, 73. These are longer numbers. Mm -hmm. If I can deliver that as an interesting story, mm -hmm. then I can probably deliver anything like an interesting story. Oh, can, you, can you deliver us a short story of numbers? Oh, sure. Okay, but it's going to be my rendering of me doing this to myself, right? Please. Without any particular goal in mind. But, um, to convince us. Tell us a convincing story about your vision of the world. Okay, here it goes. My vision of the world in numbers. Yeah. 71, 72, 73, 74, 75, 76, 77, 78, 79, 80. There you go. Thank you. How would you then tell a joke in the 70s? Oh, the, that's something that I've never done before. <laughs> I'd like to try. <laughs> We like never done before. <laughs> All right. Yeah, let's give it a shot. A joke in the 70s. 71, 72, 73, 74, 75, 76, 77, 78, 79, 80. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. That was a very nice uh, exercise there. <laughs> oh. So what makes this comfortable no let me put it differently when i want to be a convincing trainer facilitator someone of authority or a teacher what is it about the voice that adds this special competence or at least appearance of competence 
Yeah. Thanks. I love that question. Rule number one, never push. Do not push. Like as soon as you start doing this, you lose them. Mm -hmm. Like be they your audience of, you know, coworkers or like a class of school children, you know, like that's, that's the point where you lose them because you kind of like say, Hey, I got to now start raising my voice or I start to feel like I have to do extra work mm -hmm. to reach you. Whereas authority speaks for itself, ideally. Mm -hmm. So if I want to suggest authority in any way, lowering the volume of my voice or even, well, essentially just not pushing. Mm -hmm. So keeping a free voice, which, which I like to, like the word free, I like to use as the word, as the opposite to pushed, right? So this is me, I can give you an example, right? Like uh, I'm going to like, talk up to the, to, to the, I'm going to actually again use the, uh, the numbers. I'm going to count up to five using a, a pushed voice that is other than that, relatively dark, slightly melodic, you know, not too fast, not too slow. So a fairly neutral voice, right? And I'll push it first and then I won't push it anymore. Right, here goes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And that's the, that's the only real difference, right? So that is rule number one, never push. And then the other thing really is awareness. Like, what do you want to reach? How do you want to be an authority? Do you want to just communicate, mm -hmm. right? Or do you want to sell something, inspire, which is like slightly different, right? And being aware of the fact that first of all, you can do all these things with your voice, like your voice can do very many different things. And then second of all, being slightly aware of how to do that mm -hmm. would do that for you. It's interesting. There's so many thoughts crossing my mind. And I wonder whether we do have our natural voice or whether our natural voice is just something that we need to train in order to develop the best voice we can have. Right. That's a very interesting question. And I get that one a lot. So thanks for asking. The way we sound, our voice has our own character in it, right? Mm -hmm. In multiple ways. And I can best tell you by um, suggesting that you would think of singing a song or think of somebody who you know, that is also a singer, mm -hmm. right? Even though they might sing a like something that is quite far from the vocal sound they would use when they would talk to you, you can still recognize that that's them. Mm -hmm. Even though the way they use their voice is totally different. Now, the same applies to your speaking voice, if you would just think of speaking or just think of singing for that matter. Like you will have a, uh, a, own, a own, an own characteristic, so people will always be able to recognize your voice as your voice. However, Apart from that, all sonic elements and the way you execute your voice can be influenced. And I have to elaborate a little bit on that. Mm -hmm. So um, vocal sound is the result of, let's say, about eight or nine characteristics like pitch, like if it sounds high or low in actual you know, pitch, if it sounds high or low in volume, if it sounds high, not high or low, but like more like dark or bright in sound color. Mm -hmm. um, if it's pushed or free, if you have a very nasal voice or not quite, right? These are all characteristics of the voice. Yeah, I can see them as ingredients, right? Mm -hmm. 
And you've your entire life been training yourself into a particular mix of those ingredients. So to answer your question directly, your voice is the result of both your own character, but also all of these components. And it doesn't stop there because you then use your voice, right, in time and space. And in this execution part, you have things like how you articulate, how fast you go or slow, right? How much you go up and down as you process your language in both volume and pitch. And these things are also things that you consciously or most likely subconsciously have been developing all your life. So we have the possibility, though, to assess how we do these things and if we are glad with those things or if we want to redesign our voice in a particular way, which is kind of what I do. So your clients also get all the results in one session as you did? Well... I mean, my, I didn't have such high aims when I, when I was 15, you know, I just wanted to keep pitch. <laughs> <laughs> But no, it's actually quite effective, this method. It's been like the research has not stopped in the 90s, right? It's mm -hmm. been continuing and continuing. And actually quite recently, the Vocal Institute with uh, which I'm affiliated, they, they released their newest work. So, mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah, and it's, it's like processing and processing, right? The, the voice is a field where we know a lot of now, but certainly not everything. And yeah. So what is the method about? Well, the method really is about making it as easy as possible for anyone to learn about how they can change their vocal sound. That's that method from that institute. I combined that with my own insights and especially around vocal health and how it's implemented for speakers. That's something that... I needed to look on for, I guess, do some research of my own. And I'm not, you know, finished in terms of research, but um, the method really entails, hey, how to, like answering the question as effectively as possible for an individual that is in front of me in this case, how would they understand best what they need and then how they could get there. And when you say vocal health, what exactly do you mean? Right. With vocal health... I mean that the voice is the result of our uh, of something as a, a couple of processes in our body, right? There's at least 14 muscle groups contributing to the sound of our voice. 14. So, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you are less strict, right? If you include the muscles in the upper body and the neck, that's uh, and then the head as well, as actually, then you get to a much bigger number. And vocal health basically means in what state all of these muscles are with the vocal folds themselves and the tissue around it being the highest priority. Mm -hmm. Now, to give you an example of like a voice that is not being treated healthy, healthily, if you feel like your voice is worn out after a day of speaking, your voice is not very healthy. Like you're not using your voice in a healthy way. And that's the most straightforward example that I have. Mm -hmm. So what can we do to avoid it? Well, there's a number of methods. There's this method that was coined in the beginning of the last century that is now known commonly as lax vox or the tube method mm -hmm. that involves blowing through a tube into a body of water, like a bottle, and making vocal sound, like blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And that'll actually help your vocal folds, actually the skin of your vocal folds, or actually the subskin of your vocal folds, to like get straightened out, to like get massaged and feel okay. So that then the voice f like functions better. A massage for the voice. Yeah. 
What kind of tube do we need to do that? Well, that's uh, you can really use any tube as long as it's a tube of about 35, 32, 35 centimeters long and has a diameter of seven millimeters. Okay. That's the newest result. So like straw wouldn't do the job. Was that? A straw. Well, you can try and it would work, mm -hmm. but it won't work as effectively. Right now, the, the big debate in the vocal world is if we should use a straw, which is like a very small opening, Mm -hmm. all the way to a massive opening of like blowing into a mask, right? Mm. Research is not being completed on that. But as far as I know, like I've done some research and pulled my information from sources that I trust. Mm -hmm. As far as I know, it, the, like a, a slightly flexible tube of about 35 centimeters and um, a diameter of seven millimeters does the job best. But again, this is like evolving knowledge. So we might be having to update this in a few years. So luckily I'm not affected by that, but there are a lot of colleagues who do actually suffer. So before a workshop, full day workshop, they wouldn't use their voice. Do you think that it's just a matter of genetics and we cannot totally change that? Or would massaging the, the voice with the tube before or in the middle or after the workshop already help? Well, it would definitely help. It would help anyone. I have like a full length video on that on my uh, YouTube channel and I, on my website as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it's full of vocal tips. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to go into that like super, super deeply, but just think of it as tires, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because the vocal folds work like so. Yeah, they have to close, right? They, they close and open in the throat. So the throat is like through the vocal folds being opened and closed while exhaling super rapidly. Mm -hmm. Like in my case, it's around... Uh, 150 times to 200 times per second. In your case, much higher still because you're talking at a higher pitch. Mm -hmm. So that's incredibly fast, but they, they close. And every time they close, they are either effective at that closure or less effective, right? Mm -hmm. And if they're more effective, then you will experience more sonic results. Like the, there will be more, like just literally more vocal sound against less effort, mm -hmm. right? So doing an exercise that stabilizes the skin of the vocal folds in the morning or when you are about to have some vocal action is a really good idea because you will experience just yeah, kind of like an effortless voice or at least a voice that costs much, much less effort than usual. Yeah, makes sense. And was, as you mentioned, the number of muscles, we're at 14 at least if we don't count the head and the neck. Right. For me, this almost sounds that if I stand up, for instance, I'm, I'm more relaxed when I stand up as opposed to when I sit, because when I sit, maybe my posture is not really good. And yeah, so would then the voice be better if I stand up? So my next video call, I would do standing on my next podcast interview. Well, I have to unfortunately say that it really depends on the person. Like most of these muscles, for most muscles in our body, we have usual patterns, right? Like usual ways of treating them. Like for instance, if you have uh, like a tight throat, mm -hmm. you experience tension around your throat, that doesn't mean that for your specific body, like you're genetically meant to have a tight throat. No, that just means that, you're, that you have a habit of having a tight throat that you can then start getting rid of. But that is very individual. And also the advantages of standing up versus sitting down. I mean, there, 
you kind of want to have a, a body posture that is more or less straight. So you want to have the weight of your head kind of like over your sit bone. And for some people, this is actually easier in sitting and for others in standing. So it kind of like depends. And also, you want to feel good, right? So if you feel better when you're seated and you feel miserable when you stand, I'm not saying that that's the case, but like let's just imagine that it is, do sit down because we have this feedback loop running that when we feel good, our voice will tell us like, hey, you sound great because you probably feel good and that makes you feel better, even though you may not always be aware of this process. So just pick whatever feels best or if you want to be more scientific and rigid, just pick this, the, the place where you're, again, the weight of your head is easiest over your tailbone. It makes total sense because if we're, if we're in a good place, if we feel good, then we feel more relaxed and more tense. But if we don't feel good, then we tend to cramp and to push the voice, as you mentioned. Yeah. So now I sit up straight and I wonder whether you can hear it already. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you basically just want to want to have that tall spine situation going on, right? I used to always say stand up please like my like some of my colleagues do, but then I ran into a couple of conference hosts who were like, "Actually, you we like to sit down in these seats, like these comfortable seats that mm -hmm. we can lounge in, and we want to do this because we have this entire day we're hosting a panel that lasts six hours. So, we're not going to stand up." And I was like, "Okay, that's legit, you know?" Like if you feel better in a particular position, then that's that. But I did advise them to take into account where they had length in their body. You know, you, the, the, what you want to avoid is kind of like have your head be all the way in your chest and have your like ribs cramp your, your abdominal muscles. That's something that you want to avoid. Hi, this is Andrew. I'm a facilitator and head of customer success at Session Lab, the dynamic workshop planner tool. More than 30,000 facilitators, trainers, and coaches use our workshop planner tool and save time and effort in the design process. So, how do they do it? Our drag-and-drop agenda builder makes it easy to transform your ideas into high-quality workshops, and the timing of your agenda automatically updates when you make changes. You can collaborate in real time with your colleagues and easily share professional-looking printouts with your clients. And if you need inspiration, you can check out our library of more than 500 activities and exercises and simply drag the ones you need right into your workshop agenda. So check out Session Lab to save time and effort in your workshop design process. And now get your first two months of Session Lab Pro absolutely free at sessionlab.com forward slash workshops work. Would you advise a different tone of voice depending on whether you speak to an audience in a physical space as compared to through a, a microphone and, or through a screen? Well, that depends on the question if the physical space is amplified or not, mm. right? So I would say that amplified things, like just we're actually meeting, meeting like on the screen right now, so... This and a stage performance where I'm amplified are not very different, right? Mm -hmm. Because I have a microphone in front of my face regardless. Yeah. So the question should actually be, what does having a microphone on one hand mean versus having none on the other? Mm -hmm. And there the answer is not so much, right? What you would be perhaps tempted to do when you have no amplification is raise your voice, mm -hmm. right? Raise your voice both in... Um, in pitch and in loudness. Now, I would never raise my voice in terms of pitch, 
right? Because again, that does not, in most cases, in most human bodies, that would result in like a, a bit of pushing as well. And that's what we want to avoid because, you know, again, then we don't sound like really trustworthy and having authority. So we want to avoid that, but we can speak louder, you know, um, at the place where I have a studio here in Amsterdam, it's a fantastic compound and I give tours there like many other people who have a space there just because they're absolutely thrilled by how fantastic the initiative is mm-hmm. and they just want to tell audiences about it. And there I do find that I raise my voice every now and then in terms of loudness. Mm-hmm. But luckily, I know what to do, you know, vocally to not, first of all, wear out my voice when I do that and not start pushing so that I can retain my you know, my low and comfortable sounding pitch and not start pushing while it's actually being a bit louder. But that's like an exception. I think it's safe to say that in almost all cases, unless your natural sounding voice would be very soft, that you can just do the same in a room with or in any case without an amplification. And I wonder whether this is maybe a difference between a female and a male voice. But when very often when a female voice wants to speak louder, we get into higher pitches. And I don't know whether this is maybe an emotional reaction or just because we don't know how to use our voice differently. So how, what would be your advice to speak louder without getting higher in the pitch? Well, first of all, to the introduction of your question, That does happen to female speakers a bit more, that's true, but I wouldn't say necessarily much more, and it's certainly not physically necessary. Mm. Like, it happens to men as well. Like, men having an emotional reaction will also raise their voice in pitch, right? Unless they're really well trained. Now, it may be that society prepares us differently being male or female for how we treat our voice in different situations, right? Like, it may be that men get trained consciously or or subconsciously to keep their voice low in pitch uh, Mm -hmm. regardless how they feel and the other way around right but it's definitely not physically necessary and then to get to your um, actual ending of the question so what can we do about it essentially is imagine a hooligan like imagine a football fan Mm -hmm. like most people can do that i've been in workshops with almost exclusively females and you know I was like, hey, can you like blast out your, you know, pretend that you're blasting out your football club's anthem, even (laughs) though you may not be a football fan at all, like myself. Like this stereotype works and this proves immediately that we can do it. Now, what happens in your body when you typically do that is you slightly lower your larynx. um, And if I exaggerate that, you hear that my voice gets, starts getting darker. So I amplify the dark nature of my voice or the dark sound of my voice. And what we also do is we tense up our neck and our rib and upper back muscles that don't cause our throats to uh, to close and get resulting in a pushed voice, but do add to a louder voice. Now I'm gonna go a bit be like I'm gonna step back from the microphone a little bit, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna show you that. Right, I'm gonna count up to six, and then after the number three, I'm gonna like put on these muscles that I'm just uh, describing, and you'll you'll hear the result. So I'm stepping back now. One, two, three four, five, six. So these are supporting muscles in your, in your body. And um, that's kind of like, you know, like that's, um, that you're making yourself broad, essentially, right? So not, 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 not really like squeezing your abs, you know, 
but rather broadening yourself up as if you're, you know, like you're standing with your arms spread on the top of a mountain. Mm -hmm. So this actually means that you need quite a body awareness. Well, yes, but you also get there by perhaps getting there through a stereotype like the football fan Mm -hmm. or, and that's my favorite way of doing it, by trusting your ears, right? So Mm -hmm. if you're saying, hey, I'm going to be louder now, like I'm just testing this for myself in my home or my office or my safe space, wherever that is, right? Not being emotional right now or heavily emotional. I'm just going to go and test it. Like I'm going to stand up, widen up a bit, and then just try to get louder without starting to squeeze my abs. Mm-hmm. That's really it. In other words, I'm, try- I'm trying to get a louder sound out of my body without trying to sound pushed. Or rather, I don't want to sound pushed. And the only rule is I cannot sound pushed. And okay. then I go louder. And that usually works. Okay, so I tried the exercise that you did. So I a little bit on my microphone. Okay, okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There you go. Did you hear the difference? Did it sound? I definitely good? did. Yeah, you sounded you sounded louder to me, and not just louder. You sounded more powerful or something. Hmm. So what would you? recommend me as a podcaster how can i use my voice differently cannot not ask this question free coaching yay yay (laughs) yeah it's as a podcaster you well first of all think of your audience right your audience probably commuting or lounging right Mm -hmm. so they're not they're in a in a place where they don't have to do anything in particular right Mm -hmm. so you want to facilitate that you want to not sound too loud or have too large differences in loudness. Like our voices right now are fairly soft and it would be weird if one of us would start screaming, right? But we do have to maintain a narrative, right? We do want to catch your audience's attention and keep them on board. And in a room, like changing loudness levels does part of that. So we have to make up for that not being a possibility right now. So the other things at our disposal when we think of the execution of our voice are melody and speed, mm-hmm. right? Oh, and articulation, right? You do want to overstate your articulation a slight bit for the simple reason that you know what you're going to say, but perhaps your audience doesn't. Most probably they don't. <laughs> right. By the way, that's one valuable tip. Like I, I just like ran over it, but that's, that's something that most people do not do. But like, if you think about, okay, I cannot change my loudness levels too much, but I want to keep my inter- story interesting. Uh, what you can do is you can speed up and slow down, right? And speed up and slow down, which I did during that example of me counting up the, the 70s, 70s, right? Um, that's a way of saying, hey, this is going to be interesting. Hey, this is going to be interesting. Hey, this is going to be interesting. Like all the time. Uh-huh. And... yeah you can use much more melody than you would usually do. Which, by the way, I would certainly do. Because if we are not speaking very, very loud, or if, if we are allowing ourselves not to have very many loudness uh, differences, most speakers would tend to also not differ too much in pitch, right? Mm-hmm. So 
that results in your typical monotonous voice where the speaker just goes very monotonously, like not really changing their voice around very many pitches, but actually like staying around their two favorite pitches, perhaps three. Whereas that makes, that really reminds me of my university times when I had these professors who would do just that and like myself falling asleep as a result. So when I am not really talking very loud, like I'm doing right now, you can hear that me changing the pitch of my voice to tell you where I'm going with my story really does make a difference. And like team that up with speed and you're good to go, essentially. Awesome. And I wonder what tip you would have, as you mentioned it, to emphasize that now I'm saying something important. Mm. So is it kind of bringing the voice back home? So closing on a, on a low? Yes, but that would sound different if you would say, if you would like analyze it in terms of what am I hearing? When something like that happens, mm -hmm. what I'm hearing is the melody goes down. Mm -hmm. So we have a downward slope in the melody. And the speed is slowing down towards the end after which word there will be a pause. Mm -hmm. So I can go and do that again in my 70s, right? I'll go 78, 79, 80. That's an obvious end. Mm -hmm. But I can also use that to emphasize something. It's a common practice for speech, for, for good speechers, right? Mm -hmm. To be like, hello, and then start. Or good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen right? I have not said anything of any actual value, right? But what I've done is through my speed and my slope in my melody, I've told everybody, oh, and my pause afterwards, I've told everybody, hey, I'm an authority. I'm worth listening to. Can I please have your attention now? And it's impressive because it's almost like guiding the listener to yeah. sit up and, okay, I'm ready to pay attention now because I don't want to miss that. Yeah. And this applies like these are two simple examples, right? Like that's just the ending, the actual ending and the actual beginning. But this applies to everything inside the body of the speech as well. So if I want to stress anything anywhere, parts of this same dynamic will apply there. And that's, you know, that's a bit like that's beyond the scope of what I can explain here because it, I would need a little bit longer. But that's what makes up our use of, of all of these elements, these ways of executing the voice in the body of a speech or podcast or whatever you're using your voice for. I could go on and on on this, on this topic, but something else came to my mind that I really want to ask. When especially with your background of studying also the muscular things that are going on in the body while using the voice. I wonder, why can we tell whether someone is smiling or not? Is it something related to the muscles in the face that then translate into the voice? Or is it just the happiness that the body perceives that impacts the pitch? Well, it's a, it's a lot of things that play into that result of you hearing that somebody is happy, right? Or laughing even. But let's just take a top three, right? Um, right now, I'm like putting my lips in smile mode. And you can hear that my voice gets filtered differently. Like the way my lips will let out my voice 
will be differently, right? So they're, in terms of brightness, let's just say that brightness and darkness are like together make up your sound color, right? So the color of your voice. Where if, if I would close my mouth in a, in a U or an O form like so, you can hear that my voice starts sounding darker, right? So my lips are actually filtering out the brightness and amplifying or favoring the darker quality of my voice. Whereas if I'm like spreading my lips right now, you can hear that actually the, the darkness gets filtered out a bit more, right? And the brightness actually gets released. So that's one way in which you can, in which the facial expression actually influences the vocal sound. Now, the second thing, if we move back towards the throat, is your soft palate, right? So kind of like the ceiling of your mouth, if you will. If you tense up the muscles there, they will act as an amplification for the same brightness level. Not just that, it also makes the voice slightly louder without the speaker having to work harder, right? So you can hear that they're louder and not having to work harder, which we then commonly associate with feeling good. And then, that's the most important thing, when we laugh, we tend to usually not have any problems, (laughs) right? So we don't push. So the voice is entirely free. So in the throat, there's no pushing going on. So these three things combined are, you know, what I can quickly tell you now about how you would be able to read that. Yeah. Thank you. I was curious. One question that I always ask all my guests is what makes a workshop fail? And I would just leave the interpretation of this question to you. (laughs) Well, there's two ways for me to answer that question, right? Like there's a general one that I've, you know, I've worked with people hosting workshops and I've worked with their specific case studies but I also have a very personal answer. I'm just going to stick with that. Yes, please. I need to be inspired. Like if somebody who is hosting a workshop is not able to inspire me to, first of all, listen to them and get enthusiastic about what, what they're talking about, what am I doing at the workshop? Right. So that's, that's it. Like a workshop host should inspire because, and that's step one, right? So what makes the workshop feel? Somebody who is not able to inspire by the way they tell something, not what they're telling, but by the way they're telling something. Because I start listening when I like how it sounds. I don't like, unless I'm I'm really, I came to the workshop because I really wanted to get the content, then I'm fighting my way through, perhaps not liking somebody's way of addressing the issue. But if I'm like medium interested and walking away or thinking about my dinner or something else could be an option, Mm -hmm. then you know, somebody better inspire me. I love your answer because it makes me see the facilitation part in a new light, given that facilitation means making things easy. So if by the tone of our voice, we make it more difficult to actually access the information or to follow the flow of a day, a workshop, a meeting, then we are not really facilitating it because we're putting their obstacles that are not actually necessary. Yeah. Thanks. That's a very good, you know, resume, I think of, of, yeah. Hey, and I want to add something to that, which is that um, I've noticed people being afraid of exaggerating, Mm -hmm. right? Especially here in the, in the usually cold North, (laughs) (laughs) you know, where people don't want to be too much out there, you know, people would be reluctant to go beyond what they would feel as being normal, mm-hmm. right? So that's, that includes their enthusiasm about a subject. But mm-hmm. the point is, 
like I said earlier, in a different relation to something uh, voice related, we as facilitators, coaches, we know what we are going to say. And therefore, our normal will be quite low. Because if we were to speak something for just ourselves, which essentially is our, you know, our first way of assessing if we're doing a good job or not, if that's our 100%, right? Somebody else is not going to get it because they do not know what we're going to say yet. So we will have to exaggerate to get them on our level. And that's a simple trick that really blew my mind when I thought about it. And that's something that vocally always goes wrong. And this makes me, okay, have one light bulb moment after the next. <laughs> so when I, I like to ask a check-in question where... I ask teams, do you speak to think or do you think to speak? Because this tells a lot about team dynamics and how they communicate. Now, when I hear what you just said, if I'm a person who thinks to speak, so I know what I'm going to say, so my voice will tentatively be lower because, yeah, I'm speaking to myself and it will thought through. Whereas these people who think to speak, they're basically thinking out loud, they're blabbering. They might have more intonation and they might be louder just by nature because they don't know what they're going to say. Have you observed that? Does it make sense? I, I have, actually. And when I, and not, not the, the specific phrasing that you use, which is very clear, you know, thank you for like, giving me that phrasing. I typically advise people to do both. Mm -hmm because that results in the best vocal flow. And also, you're telling your audience, hey, I'm with you, but I'm thinking, but I'm with you. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking for you. That's why my voice is continuing, but I'm not rambling all over the place. Yeah. So it's like the perfect middle ground. Love it. And I cannot believe that our hour is almost over. <laughs> so if someone in the audience, for a reason that I cannot even imagine, fell asleep after minute one, just woke up and thought, I don't have time to listen to the entire episode again. What would you like this person to take away? Remember that your voice is not just the way it is naturally, but that you can be aware of what it does, how it works, what you want to accomplish with it, and that you can learn how to do just that. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Hube. It was a pleasure learning from you and hearing, yeah, just opening the, the horizon of what else there is related to facilitation. I will put all your information in the show notes and the link to your YouTube channel, and I will explore it a little bit further. Super. Thank you so much for inviting me today. And I, yeah, I hope that we'll hear each other soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for staying tuned and listening to the show. I appreciate your attention as I know how busy you are. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and engage by sharing your comments and thoughts and visit workshops.work to download the one-page summary. I'm looking forward to seeing you back at the next episode and I wish you a fruitful day.